Hi, this is a Conversations with Creatives podcast for Opus. We're currently exploring the relationship between artists and materials. And in this second episode, we'll be discussing the art essentials. Many of us strive to get into the zone where we know our materials so well, they seemingly move independently through our bodies. It's a passionate connection. We become vessels for a flow of creativity that streams between our tools and our work. One could say the more we master our materials, the easier it is to successfully communicate our vision. But it's not always that simple. The relationship between artist and art supplies is complex. Creative aims might shift, and sometimes the very tools we set out to command hinder our progression. But experimenting with different mediums and new ideas can open up new creative pathways, leading us towards unexpected and rewarding outcomes. West Coast Kwakwakiwaka artist Randy Cook explores and combines traditional and contemporary styles, and in doing so, creates his own unique approach to Indigenous contemporary art. Incorporating science, culture, and his genuine passion for the well-being of old growth and Mother Earth, Cook examines the current world we live in while preserving ancestral stories through new mediums and materials. My name is Randy Cook. <laughs> I think I uh, just always have embraced being an artist right from day one. Graduating from high school, it was just kind of inevitable that this is what I was going to be doing. And I was going to go to art school. But instead, I ended up apprenticing under a master carver for six years. After that, I mean, I've always just kind of pushed as an artist, but also I'm a it's just kind of tied up in commercial art and working for galleries for 20 years. And I know some people would probably think, you know, it's very successful when you've got a list of commissions lined up for a year and you're doing very well financially. I didn't feel very successful at all. I felt like I was just feeding the beast and, you know, I was just, I wasn't even doing what I wanted to do anymore. It was more like, you know, dictated by galleries and on and on. And so I just blew it all up, left all the galleries, went back to school and started to focus more on, you know, the work that I want to be doing. And what came through was um, the introduction to Suzanne Samard's research on tree communication, um, where I started to look at her research and science. And I started to integrate science into uh, my indigenous philosophy. For years and years, you know, trying to be a storyteller and trying to share, you know, Indigenous stories from the Northwest Coast to an international audience was quite difficult. For one, there's a language barrier, um, but for other cultures to kind of really understand the significance of, you know, say origin stories and things like that, it was kind of very specific to me and my family. And I kind of thought, well, what's the point in even sharing those stories sometimes, you know, like they're just so personal. So my breakthrough was actually using the language of science to kind of bring people together where now I can create an art piece and use the language of science. Uh, for example, me and you may share, you know, and these views around protecting old growth forest. 
Um, and now I can present an art form to that language where you can look at it and say, oh, I know exactly what's happening through the ecology lens. And then you can take my artwork and share that language. And it can be spoken about internationally now in all different languages. And I kind of even believe like, I, I don't really believe in appropriation um, with this work. So I would love to even see it evolve, you know, where people start to look at it and say, oh, okay, like the origin is maybe the Northwest coast. But if it's going to serve a purpose of protecting the planet, then I think, you know, that's, that's the overall goal. And I think that's more important to me. So that's kind of like what I got out of my master's <laughs> was, you know, really pushing and it's been quite significant since then I actually even started a tree of life team. And we get out into the forest every summer. We're just getting ready now. Actually, we leave on Sunday. Um, and it's a group of scientists and artists and we all get together and really it's just the artists um, observe and we just kind of, you know, listen to the scientists and we you know, take part in their research. And then we try and amplify their message through our practice to try and bring more awareness. I'm really heavily focused on this work. And I, and since then I opened up my own gallery even, and it's called Leaf Modern. And um, my gallery is now, it puts me in a position where I can now share artwork that other galleries previously wouldn't actually support. So now I can show works and do my own exhibitions and invest in myself and, you know, draw more attention to the tree of life work and then bring more uh, communication, conversations, um, education, all of that into a space which is Indigenous led um, around common themes. It's really about just eliminating the division amongst all things and we're all coming together with one common goal and is that we care about making change and it's about the planet. And if we can kind of set that example on an international stage to say, we are the movement of reconciliation. We are the people, we're all unified, we're all one. It doesn't matter what background, what you are, or what you believe in or anything, really about, it's about the needs of the planet right now and we need to make change. I started off because, you know, like my own, cultural values. So starting off with stories, stories were always more important to me than the actual art form. So I looked at the art form in many different ways when I was studying and I started off like flat designing, understanding the forms of the Northwest Coast. And then once you understand that language, essentially, then you can apply it to anything. Um, the next step was really like carving. So totems and masks and things like that. Um, but I kind of was always curious about pushing forward anyway. I kind of reached a point with the more work I was doing in the forest, I was feeling really conflicted um, because it's like, you know, we're consuming all of this wood and these trees are being cut down. And I did a totem pole for a client in the States and it was a commercial sale. And I had to buy the log from industry. And I ended up just feeling awful. I was just like, I can't believe I just supported industry, gave them thousands and thousands of dollars for this log so I can carve a totem just to sell it for commercial value. So some people who really don't even care about, you know, this and that could put it in their yard, you know, and it really is just a symbol of wealth, essentially. I think that was a big part of like going back to school and kind of looking at that was, you know, I acquired all of these different 
technical skills as an artist, carving. Um, I'm a jeweler. I studied in Italy and in New York doing repose. And I feel like the technical aspect of being an artist is easy. You can acquire skills from anywhere, but it's really about your passion and the story you want to tell and how you want to connect with people. And I feel like that was really more of my core as an artist anyway. So it's easy for me to leave the technical aspect. I'm not really stuck on one thing. You know, one moment I'm doing a canvas painting, the next moment I'm sculpting something from clay. The next moment, you know, I'm making a piece of jewelry and then I'll go and salvage a piece of wood in the forest. Uh, instead of it rotting, I'll turn it into something beautiful. And I feel like that's the emotion I carry most of the time within my work. I just like creating. I'm a male. I, I don't know what it'll ever be like to give birth and experience that. But I think there's this kind of bliss you feel when you finish an art piece. And like I say, you know, whether it's a painting or a sculpture or anything, it's just it's the same feeling when you're finished it, you know, and I'm not and I'm not attached to my work either. I never actually have been as soon as it's done. It's actually already gone. And I'm already moved on to the next thing. I really don't hold on to anything. It's it's I'm really fixated on just that emotion and moving through it and feeling it and being a part of it. And, you know, and it's all part of the process. Right now, I'm actually carving a totem pole and it's in my driveway right now <laughs> in a tent. And when I'm done work, I still will go down the tent and peek just to kind of look at it. And sometimes even if I'm not working, I like to touch it and feel it. And if I'm away from it too long, I miss it. I'm like, oh, I just want to be there working. And uh, getting ready to go on a Tree of Life trip is kind of exciting. But leaving the sculptural part, this, you know, this process, I'm like, oh, I'm really going to miss carving for a whole week, you know. <laughs> so there's that. But like I say, it's it's interesting because once it's done, I'm totally done. Like I, I really just detach and move on i've heard you know other artists kind of express it too i think you know we get caught in these moments where you feel like you're you're not in control anymore as an artist and you're really just channeling something and there's a lot of times i don't sketch i don't do anything like i even with the totem pole for example there's no sketch and it's a 12 foot really big sculptural piece and i'm just drawing as i'm going and measuring and cutting and it's all just coming out and i have no idea at all what it's going to look like in the end and that's the exciting part and i kind of approach all of my art pieces that way there's no premeditative thought or process i literally just go in the moment so I'm kind of always excited for the next one and the next one because I really don't put any thought. <laughs> what I'm doing mostly right now is I'm, I'm exploring more than I actually really have. Like I'm, I just finished a 3D printed mask um, and now I'm looking at working with another engineer on some eco-friendly casted concrete totems that uh, we can finish in titanium dioxide. So when we put them up outside, they actually clean the air, they collect carbon. And then when it rains, the rain will wash the carbon and put it back into the soil. 
So these new futuristic totems and stuff for me make it really, really exciting because I think in a hundred years when they're still standing, I think technology is going to be moving so fast. There's going to be all of these alternatives, but at least there people can look back and say, oh, well, this was created because there was only 2.7% left percent left of old growth in the entire forest of BC. So this artist wanted to make change, but the stories are still there in the design. And, you know, so I'm constantly thinking that way now. And it's becoming a new passion where I'm kind of excited. So like I say, I'm not, I almost kind of look back at even like carving wood now as being primitive. Like, I don't know, there's something in me where I'm just like, it just doesn't make sense anymore to be even thinking that way, you know, like when we're in this climate crisis, I'm kind of fixated on, you know, new ideas and moving forward. I'll have five projects on the go at the same time. So I'm always looking at just different ways of fabricating and working with different things. But I think that's the joy. Like I always have something on the go. <laughs> Alanis Baronese is a self-taught full-time artist with passion to create. Her luminous works, often embedded with photographic materials, drawings or writing, channel the connection between the human spirit and the natural world, whilst exploring the extraordinary in the ordinary. My name is Alana Speranese. I am I'm deeming myself now acrylic artist. I have been an encaustic artist for probably about 12 13 years. Switching mediums was a pretty big deal because I had spent so many years developing my technique, learning it, I'm self-taught, developing my style and carving out my niche within caustics, which was awesome. It's such an amazing medium to work with. Its fluidity and its luminosity was, that's what drew me into it right away. But then in the last uh, couple years, um, I started to develop some health issues with my neck and my shoulder and um, it was from my painting style with encaustics as you're leaning over all the time to see how the wax is moving on the surface honestly I was in denial I didn't want to admit that this beautiful art practice that I had grown and just loved so much was causing me any sort of pain but I couldn't deny it anymore it kind of got to that point and um, and then these other things started to happen at the same time as having this big realization on, um, you know, COVID hit. Suddenly, um, you know, galleries that I had my work in had closed for a period of time. And I had this big break presented to me. My encaustic work wasn't in demand at that time just because the world went into sort of shutdown. We moved. I found myself in this large space. I had totally admitted to myself that I, I don't know how much longer I can paint with encaustics because I'm going to really damage myself physically. And everything just sort of happened and I sat down and took a big deep breath and I sort of felt like, okay, the universe has given me a lot of signs here. Change is needed. It's okay. And so I, I did the change. I, I said I'm going to do my acrylics. And I hunkered down and I started painting them out and it felt amazing standing in front of an easel painting like my body was thanking me. And I was really embracing the change 
so much more than I thought I would. And, um, and thankfully, as I presented these acrylic works to my galleries and, and to collectors, um, they were well received and I was on my way. <laughs> it felt like returning home because I had started my art practice with acrylics and texture. And I was just getting going with that. And I was selling work. And then I, I literally found an encaustic piece, I saw a piece of encaustic art and was so emotionally moved by it that it just totally presented this new path to me that I couldn't deny I had to embark on. So that's what made me go to encaustics. But when I came recently back to acrylics, it, it honestly just felt like returning home. It felt like a welcome change to to work with a different medium and uh, like working with texture, I love so much. I love the whole act of applying the texture and slathering it on and, um, and, and how the effects that it can render on the substrate, you know, like you kind of never really know you're putting it on, but when you put the paint washes on there, it's like things come to life. I use lots of the texture paste from Golden and I use large palette knives, um, rarely small ones. And uh, I do like to paint on the birchwood cradle boards. I love painting on rigid substrates. I like how they don't have, I, I do occasionally do canvas, but I, I really like um, painting on board. Uh, there's no bounce. And I use the acrylics. Um, I definitely prefer golden. Um, and I like lots of color washes on there. I paint a lot of trees and I have about 25 little brushes in all various shapes and sizes. And, you know, they're the, my, my branches come out of those brushes. So, um, yeah, those are the main things that I, I don't know how my art would look if I didn't have those things. I start with GAC 100 because it's really good for sealing the wood. And I usually put about three layers of that on. It's kind of time consuming actually just preparing my substrate. It's when I do get down to painting it, it's like, ah, oh, finally. But it takes kind of a, about a week for my piece to be ready. And that's just sealing and priming and texturizing it. And then I prop it up on my easel and I start applying the first washes of color, you know, laying down value and stuff. And um, then I'm kind of on my way. I would say like 75% of the time I have an idea and then there's 25% where I just need to get my studio and, and I just want to lose myself to the process, almost asking my canvas to lead me and guide me. It's mood related, right? So. Some days you're going in there and you're like, oh yeah, I know what I'm gonna do. And other days you're like, no, please tell me, what are, what are we doing? <laughs> My crackle paste, you never know what the heck it's gonna do. That's one of the joys, actually. That's one of the things, it's like Christmas in the morning when you go out there and look and see how it dried overnight because it cracks to its own. Like it, you just never know what you're gonna get. I have developed, I, I've noticed that um, when you're working with something so much, you do get to know it. And I, I do know how I apply it can definitely affect 
the amount of crackle, the size of the crackle, and so on. Um, so yeah, there's been times when I was thinking I might do this, and then I go in there and I look at the way it dried and what has presented itself, and I've been like, oh, okay, I was going to do like a color field, but no, I'm going to do gonna do a landscape on this because I'm seeing all these trees like just from the way the crackle pace crackled but I've used other ones there's also gosh I can't remember what it's called but it's um it's almost mimics watercolor paper that one I used it and I was like whoa this is a whole other ball game because the way the color to the material was so different I'm so used to moving color so yeah I mean there's so many to try and, and I'm going to continue to explore because just experimentation I'm, I'm very much addicted to process because I think it's important for artists to evolve and not be complacent or comfortable with because you can work with something so much and then all of a sudden you've got it it's like okay I, I know how this is going to turn out that's like that scares me a bit because um there you have to have that element of surprise the process has to be interesting so i would just say be open to new materials and and experimentation keep exploring and trying new things i mean i definitely try to do that in my own practice and i will continue to do that because I think it's important to grow as an artist. Artist, illustrator and graphic novelist Renee Nolt is known for her vivid watercolour and ink illustrations. Growing up near the ocean, she was influenced by the languid weightlessness and bright colours of underwater landscapes. Later, she connected these ideas with the floating world of Japanese ukiyo-e prints which she blends with a very personal edge, cryptic symbolism, and a dark sense of humor. I'm Renee Nault. Um, mostly I work with watercolor and ink, mostly doing comic books these days. Recently did the Handmaid's Tale adaptation with Margaret Atwood. I've got a few different brands of ink that I always have to have, black ink and some colored inks. And then um, for the watercolors, I have like very specific colors from different brands. So my kit is just a mess of different sizes of tubes of different brands, but always the specific colors from each brand. I've got a, a bunch of Daniel Smith, um, especially the granulating ones are really fun. Um, a lot of my reds are from, I think like Holbein. I got them in Japan. I've got some real cheap ones. Uh, there's like Van Gogh, Vermilion is like, for some reason, the best vermilion I've found. Um, and then I've got some opaque gouaches in here. I just have a certain way that I want each color to look. And since I use a lot of color straight out of the tube to have a really vibrant effect, uh, it's really important that it looks exactly right and works exactly with all the other colors I have in my head. It seems like there's always this color that I'm looking for, like the perfect vermilion or the perfect like phthalo blue. And when I see it, I know it right away. So I, I'm always buying paint and discarding it because it's not quite what I had in my head. When you find exactly what you were imagining, it's such a good feeling. You feel like 
it's just coming naturally. You're not fighting with the materials. You're just like, you want to have the most direct uh, stream between your brain and your paper. Recently, I got into uh, these like transparent inks. Um, I think they're supposed to be for illustration or animation. They're not light fast, unfortunately, but they're so transparent and so vivid that they really work well with the ink drawings that I do. It just sort of gave me the opportunity to try much brighter tones than I normally would because they're so, sometimes if you go straight from the tube with watercolor, it's a little bit opaque and it will cover up the ink work that I do. So these transparent colors, I can just layer them on top of each other over and over and you can still see the ink really clearly through them. It basically allows me to be really imaginative with color. So I can put in like a neon pink or something in a place where I never would have imagined putting it because there's just that freedom to, to play with the, the colors. I try to keep it as spontaneous as possible because I feel that that produces the most exciting work to look at. Um, but of course, you know, if, if I'm doing a project for a client, there's a lot of back and forth with the with the client about uh, how exactly the picture is going to look and they don't like to be too surprised. So I, unfortunately I can't be that spontaneous with that. With my own work, I usually do like a little tiny um, thumbnail, like a, just a tiny little sketch to get the colors right and the values and then go onto the paper completely blank. Recently I've gotten into this one called, I think it's called Bao Hong. Um, it's like known as the, cheaper Chinese version of arches. <laughs> I actually find it a little bit better than arches. It's really smooth, so it takes the ink really well, um, but it's also really absorbent for watercolor. I'm basically using it for everything now. Carbon Black Ink, uh, it's a Japanese brand called Platinum, I think. That's like, I always have that in my kit forever. It's very black, it's very opaque but it's not um, it's not shiny when it dries down. It's very matte. It's just perfect. And it flows really beautifully through pens and ink and uh, brushes. Daniel Smith's watercolors, the granulating ones like Soda Light is a really great one. Really into these little Safari pens now, the Lamy ones. I've got a whole bunch of those. So that's probably in my top five. It's just so cool to have, I find that the lines that they produce are sort of fat and cartoony and I really love that. Other than that, let's see, looking around my desk, um, basic quill pen with a, I have a couple different nibs that I use. Uh, always have to have that. I think these PH Martin Hydrus inks are gonna be like my favorite thing because they are basically a happy medium between watercolor paint and the transparent inks that I was talking about. So yeah, those are my top ones. <laughs> I tend to go for cheap brushes because I ruin them really quickly. Um, I do have like some nice ones for doing my ink work, like the Windsor and Newton Series 7. Um, and then I, I've also got a whole bunch of cheap ones that are from different brands. I really like to shop in Asia because they have a lot of weird brands and they're very cheap. So <laughs> I get a lot of brushes there, bring them home and proceed to wreck them. 
everybody has a different process. And I remember being in school and trying to use the materials that my teachers would insist we use. And it was just always such a fight because, you know, everybody has different, um, even like sensory experiences of using the materials. Um, like for example, I really don't like uh, scratchiness in my materials, like charcoal and stuff scratching over a rough paper really like gets my hackles up. So I feel like you have to kind of like try everything and figure out what feels good, like physically to work with. It's really important to me to experiment with new materials because I feel like my art is going to become stagnant if I just get into one way of working. So I'm always buying things and trying them out. And unfortunately, I have like drawers and drawers full of stuff that I don't use anymore. But um, I feel like it's still a valuable process because when you find something, it can change your way of working and it can open up whole new doors of creativity and and make it easier to express that thing that in your imagination that you're always trying to express. I'd like to thank Randy, Alana and Renee for taking time out of their busy schedules to talk with me. I hope you've enjoyed their insight and are inspired to experiment and push your creativity further. Next month, I'll be speaking with artists from this year's Eastside Culture Crawl, discovering more about their relationship between art and materials. Till then, thanks for listening. <laughs>